Okay, so we begin Act 4, Scene 14, where Antony describes how he feels that his whole identity is dissolving and he uses um, imagery of evening clouds. Um, so if we have a look at the opening line, he says, you know, Eros, thou yet beholdst me. Um, in other words, can you can, do you see me? Because I, ca I can't actually see my shape anymore. He says, sometimes we see a cloud that's dragonish, a vapour, sometimes like a bear or a lion, uh, a tired citadel or a pendant rock, forked mountain. Um, and actually what's really interesting is they're all imagery of strength. And there's a there's a kind of oxymoron, um, I suppose, with the idea of um, something which is should be strong and concrete and huge and impressive, is being described as as a cloud, um, and it's that idea of kind of that that want that image is is kind of dissolving or or dissipating, um, and it's suggesting that he feels that his whole identity is kind of escaping him in a sense, and that he's kind of fading to nothing, um, and it suggests you know that inner dissolution is both a lover and a soldier. He feels betrayed by Cleopatra, but also that he's betrayed his own very nature um, as a Roman soldier as well. Um, if we look on Dine, um, he, he kind of extends this idea. He says, here I am Antony, yet cannot hold this visible ship. Um, and the kind of, at that point, it's when the, the thought enters his mind that the only way for him to kind of claim back some type of identity or some type of honour is by committing suicide. He, he talks about how... Um, you know, he has made wars for Egypt and the Queen, whose heart he thought. Um, she pl false played my glory unto an enemy's triumph. And then he's like, weep not, there is left us ourselves to end ourselves. So there's an, an intended action at that point. Like, don't be sad, be resolute, that decision. Um, and actually it suggests that the thing that he feels utterly betrayed and abandoned by, by Cleopatra. So this is kind of looking at Antony's identity, both as soldier and lover simultaneously in this. Um, and that decision to to take his own life, we have to remember that we're looking at it through this Roman concept of, of suicide, that it was the honourable way out for a soldier to die um, if his honour or reputation was in ruins. Um, very different to kind of a Western understanding of, of suicide that's influenced by um, kind of Christian ideology, essentially, that suicide is sinful. It's not viewed in this way at all within this play so it's it's something that you can do a little bit of research on in terms of AO3 um and ultimately we will when we when we move on into the scene we can talk about Antony's death um one of the questions that the the text asks is is it a dignified heroic and moving moment or is it a grotesquely comic bungled suicide attempt another example of Antony trying to um claim control in a sense and in which it goes wrong in a, in a really haphazard and disastrous way. So we, we can talk about that when we get to that moment. Um, but Mardian comes in and again, it's that I, I, he, Antonique blames Cleopatra for his um, failing soldiership and his identity. That image of, oh, thy vile lady, she has robbed me of my sword. And actually what's interesting is that that line, it, there is a striking reminder of the boast um, from one of the previous scenes in which she, she dressed him in her clothes while she wore his sword. Um, kind of comes up in our head as an, as an audience at that point. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting that he, at this point, has adopted a real Roman view of um, Cleopatra that he had previously kind of 
denied. Um, and it's how, you know, Antony has allowed himself to be unmanned by Cleopatra. That's a view that many Romans have adopted throughout the whole play. And it now seems like Antony has um, taken on that perspective also. What's really interesting with Mardian's response, you know, he says, no, Antony, my mistress loved thee and her fortunes mingled with thine entirely. Is there a choral function to that, that we're reminded that actually Antony t adopting that Roman perspective of Cleopatra is far too narrow? Um, it's not, it's not truthful in a sense. It's just he's being blinded by anger and shame and frustration and sadness, um, which is making him adopt that view. Um, Antony makes the decision that because Cleopatra has betrayed him, that she shall die the death. In other words, that he needs to kill her um, because of what she's done. And then Mardian, we know, falsely reports Cleopatra's suicide that was planned in Act 4, Scene 13. Um, that death of one person can be paid but once and that she has discharged. So again, that she has potentially committed suicide. And um, that idea of that it being considered a, a, a sign of honour. It's suggesting that it was a way of exerting control over misfortune, in a sense. So it is an act of trying to take control over one's destiny. And we have to consider suicide in, in this play and of, of being that. Um, and Mardian essentially describes how what thou wouldst do is done unto thy hands. In other words, just as you wanted, um, she's dead. And he embellishes and says that, you know, the last words that she spoke was Antony, most noble Antony. It was divided between her heart and lips. So in other words, um, as the breath was leaving her body, between her heart and between her mouth, it broke. The name divided and broke. And thy name so buried in her that it, it couldn't even come out. So it's one, they're kind of assimilated together, Cleopatra and Antony's name. And there is kind of a you know, beautiful hyperbole within that image as well. But we obviously know that as an audience, we're watching this with knowing that this is not true. This is this is an, a moment of dramatic irony. But what response does it evoke in Antony? And by many ways, with him saying before this, she must die, we'd be thinking he'd be happy. But actually, it's the opposite of that. Um, he, you know, the pace slows down. There's lots of kind of staccato sentences, dead then, dead. And I love this moment. Um, theatrically, it's brilliant because he uses this idea of the long day's task is done and we must sleep. And sleep is obviously, it's a euphemism for suicide, that death is the only option at this point. And um, so actually with the, the what he believes is Cleopatra is gone, it's now that he's kind of lost any sense of purpose and that death is the only option. Um, and I love that kind of imagery in which, Eros is unarming him. He says, you know, pluck off. So that kind of visual rejection of his soldier identity. Um, and, you know, his sword and his armour throughout the play has, have always been used as a symbol of power and authority of a, of a Roman statesman and a general. And that power is now gone. It's ending, it's disappearing. And actually what we get is Antony's kind of adapting the image of the lover at this point. And it's Cleopatra that is kind of in his 
mind. And that's the thing that's driving him forward at this point. So a real kind of shift in terms of his emotional and mental state from, from a few lines before. Um, and I love that kind of the, the imagery that he, that it's evoked in the, the sevenfold shield of Ajax cannot keep the battery from my heart, cleave my sides, heart, crack thy frail case. Um, he's kind of wanting his body to um, break apart and that he doesn't want armor to protect that in any way. And there's a real beautiful imagery of kind of like growing vulnerability of the body and emotions and how his identity as a soldier has broke him and failing him at this point um and that really you know emphatic line no more a soldier bruised pieces go as well so that kind of it's it's an utter rejection of that identity and where he fully adopts that that kind of focus and drive of the lover um and when he eros exits this soliloquy in which Anthony asks for sympathy and for an apology. He says, I will overtake the Cleopatra and weep for my pardon. So that he wants death to come quickly. He wants to overtake Cleopatra on her journey to the next life, in a sense, and apologize because he knows he's kind of, he's done wrong by wanting her dead, in a sense. Um, and he uses this imagery of light and darkness, which we know is kind of a repeated image that's um, developed by Shakespeare throughout the play. He describes how all length is torture. Um, you know, he resolves to die, to be re reunited with her. And, and, and this is just a delay in a sense. And that as each second passes, it's more torturous and more painful for him. And he uses that since the torch is out, lie down and stray no further. Um, so light disappearing, darkness and death is all that he sees. He, on that seal then, and all is done. And then he shouts for Eros. That kind of moment is suggesting that Antony's, at this point, he can't do it. He's struggling to take his own life. And actually, what he is going to do is ask Eros to take it for him, in a sense. So there is a sense of maybe sympathy that Antony is really struggling at this point, um, mentally, emotionally, physically, um, and this is kind of where we see this the, the tragic nature of the of this character kind of coming out too. Um, and he, I come, my queen, Eros, stay for me. So there's this kind of, he's in and out at this point. He's shouting for Eros. He's speaking to kind of Cleopatra, even though she's not there through the soliloquy. Wit, and he says, you know, where souls do couch and flowers, we'll hand in hand. So this idea of being reunited in death um, comes up again. Um, and there is that reference that obviously that... Um, the kind of classical allusion to Dido and Aeneas. Um, and you can do a little bit of research on them. So uh, Dido was the queen of Carthage and her lover was Aeneas, the founder of Rome. Um, and But according to the legend, Dido killed herself when Aeneas deserted her to follow his Roman duty. So obviously we can see the, the echoes within that classical allusion to the um, to, to how Antony and Cleopatra are viewed as, as lovers as well. Um, Aeneas, as well, the founder of Rome, he was considered the embodiment of the four central Roman virtues. So gravitas, uh, pectas, dignity and virtue. So you can have a little look at that in terms of AO3 and context too. And it's almost like um, that's how Antony once was perceived, but he's kind of rejected or done a disservice to those kind of four virtues. Um so when we look when we look into the scene, obviously when when Eros comes back in, um, Antony describes how that since Cleopatra's died, he's lived in dishonor, 
Um, and he describes how he condemns myself to lack the courage of a woman that um, he's terrified of death. And ultimately he sees that there's a, a, a bravery in Cleopatra's choice to commit suicide, albeit we know that that's not true at this point, but it will be, um, that he sees that he's rejecting his somewhat like his masculinity because he's he's kind of frightened and terrified of death and and doing um, you know having this act um and he he uses this kind of um it's, it's like paraphrase speech so that which she by her death or caesar tells i am conqueror of myself and i love that line because it's a reminder that suicide is honor and it's about that taking control over misfortune and we get that through that kind of alleged speech of what he imagines Caesar uh, she would say to Caesar um, by doing that act and he makes that emphatic line of do it the time is come on line 67 and it's a as we can remember from the National Theatre production this scene is it's actually a really tense one because we know Antony is we're about to see a death on stage and, and you know, a, a great character in many ways take their own lives. It's real, real tension. And then that shift when it's Eros does it to himself. You know, there were audible gasps um, in, in the audience at that point. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that as we move on. Um, so there is imagery of Antony's prior success by Eros's kind of rhetorical question. You know, shall I do that which all the Parthen darts, though enemy lost, aim and could not? Um, so that kind of imagery of his prior, you know, Antony's success in, in battle prior, um, is he like, am I to do that? Um, and Antony uses a rhetorical question in a way to make him see that there would be public humiliation which would further dishonour his reputation if he were to live. So he says, Eros, wouldst thou be windowed in great Rome and see thy master thus with pleached arms bending down, his face subdued to penetrative shame, whilst the wheel seat, wheel seat being a chariot. So in other words, like to be used as a trophy um, of humiliation through Rome, would you rather that? And Eros, that line of, I would not see it, that they can't risk Antony's, Antony going out that way they just can't um so he uses that idea of with a wound i must be cured that's the only thing that de suicide is the only option for anthony at this point it really is in terms of claiming honor um and and kind of saving his reputation eros then this bit he he's you know asks anthony to turn away turn from me then that noble countenance wherein the worship of the whole world lies and again that kind of hyperbole in his speech that Antony is 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 a hero um and that elevated status that's given to him with the worship of the whole world um he can't he can't look at it he can't look at himself when he's doing this and then this building up of tension of this kind of really short um kind of exchange dialogue between Antony and Eros and then it's the now and then he kills himself and as you see in those productions usually Eros kind of imagines that he's about to run to Antony and then turns the sword on himself and it's a really shocking moment and it's a moment of you know extreme violence and we have to think stagecraft like this is a character choosing to take their own life um in front of an audience and what we see is Eros says as he's you know dying essentially is thus I do escape the sorrow of Antony's death um, and what we see is the suicide of a loyal servant and that creates sympathy that Antony is a leader who inspires such devotion that Eros couldn't bring himself to do that and would choose to die himself rather than see the, than suffer um, 
kind of watching Antony die. And we are reminded of, um, you know, that ultimately Eros remains the loyal soldier to the very end. And it is an honourable death in comparison to the death of, say, Enobarbus, for example. Um, it's interesting that I suppose we could even look at the name Eros, you know, being kind of linked to that, the god of love, um, that Antony and it is Antony and Eros to the end, and that um, all is dying, essentially, the image of Antony as a soldier, but also the imagery of Antony as a, as a lover through the, the naming of his, his loyal um, follower, Eros. It's, it's something to kind of consider as well. Um, and Antony uses that hyperbole to acknowledge Eros's elevated status for what he's done. He says, thrice nobler than myself. Um, there's a kind of shame that Eros is showing bravery that Antony hasn't fully been able to show in terms of claiming um, his own life. Um, and he praises and elevates um, Eros and Cleopatra, that description of my queen and Eros have by their brave instruction got upon me a nobleness in record, um, that they've excelled him in, in so many different ways. Um, um, but what's what's interesting is just before Anthony claims his own life, because now he has no option, um, he has to regain this kind of strength from somewhere. He says, I will be a bridegroom in my death and run into it as a lover's bed. And I love that simile because he's his life as a soldier is at an end and now in death he kind of embraces the lover um identity and i suppose he he embraces the lover identity through this roman um kind of view of 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 suicide and claiming that identity as a soldier so the kind of two become um assimilated together in many ways maybe it's the one time in the play in which anthony successfully reconciles those two conflicting identities that it's only in death he can do that now the bit with Antony falling on his sword, um, he botches it, you know, hi, not dead, not dead. Um, and it's a real prolonged agony. And I suppose it's a it's worthwhile thinking about why Antony isn't even able to have dignity, I suppose, in death. You know, he's given a really long, prolonged, agonizing death. There's even that awkward moment in Act Five where, or sorry, not Act Five, the next scene, which Antony's kind of lifted up as well. Um, there's there's a kind of lack of dignity in, in being passed up to the monument. Um, and this line sometimes creates comedy too. Um, we, we've even seen that in the National Theatre production as well. And it's something to think about again. Is it another kind of the final blow that even in choosing the right decision in many ways for Anthony to, to claim his life as a tragic hero and to end um, kind of all of this conflicted um, emotions and um, identities that he's experienced throughout the play, that this is the kind of the final mistake in the line of multiple mistakes and errors that he's made throughout the play that um he's not even able to get this right at the final point is it kind of the final blow um and he begs when the other the guards come in that you know dispatch me like please kill me take my life because it's he's he's suffering and you know even the guards describe him as the star is fallen um real brilliant imagery in terms of the the kind of fall from grace that Anthony's experienced throughout the play and I suppose what's really awful is um, Decretus um, takes Antony's sword and says, this sword, but shown to Caesar with this tidings shall enter me with him. And he takes 
Anthony's sword away from him. And again, we know that that you know there's a humiliation there, um, and I suppose it serves as another reminder of the contrast to the loyalty that Eros showed. That this person is willing to use that um, as a way of advancing their own kind of military career. There's something quite repulsive about that final image. And then Diomedes comes in, and. As typical in tragedy, the messenger comes in just a bit too late. Um, literally on stage, sometimes it's within 60 seconds. It's really, really, really small. And he comes in uh, delivering the, the kind of concept that Cleopatra had a premonition that Antony might take his own life and sent Diomedes to tell Antony that she still lives. But it's too late at this point. And there's there's a real tragedy um, and, and poignancy in that as well in terms of time. Um Diomedes describes how she had a prophesizing fear of what hath come to pass and again that idea of fate and destiny and I suppose another a, a reminder that Cleopatra is always alluded to having a kind of supernatural or a bewitching quality so she's had this premonition that this will happen and I suppose that the, the tension in the real moment of I suppose catharsis that pity and that terror is that if only he had been 30 seconds earlier that this mightn't have happened. Um, and we know that Cleopatra's response will be similar to Antony's when she finds out that Antony's not no longer in the world, that she can't face a world without him in it and vice versa. So so death is ever approaching and um, there's something quite pitiful for us to see that as an audience in terms of um, the two great figures end in such a horrific way um and he does even say at that point you know i am come i dread too late and then the guards come in and there's this bit at the end where anthony calls for his guards and asks them to carry him to her to say you know his final farewell um uh, he says, bear me where Cleopatra bides, tis the last service that I shall command you. And they do, you know, you may not live to wear all your true followers out, that he inspires loyalty and admiration and sympathy from from many of his followers at this point. Um, and that heavy day, that this is a sad moment. And Anthony, instead of kind of feeling, you know, self-pity at this point, he says, do do not please sharp fate to grace it with your sorrows. Um in other words, we need to keep going on. And he, he, I love that final line where he says to them, take me up. I have led you off to carry me now and have my thanks for all. Oh, Anthony, even, you know, death is approaching fast. Um, he's leading out, if we think about it on stage, he's in agony. But there's something so admirable and um, about him as a leader at this point. He's like, I have led you. Now it's your turn to carry me for this one final time and you have my eternal thanks. And it's a real moment of redemption as a military leader at this point. Um, and he's given, I suppose, that moment of dignity um, by Shakespeare um, before his final moments within the next scene. Okay, and so we move on to the last scene in Act Four. Um, definitely one of my favourite scenes, I think, in terms of looking at the the kind of final moments between Antony and Cleopatra. Um, this is building up to kind of the climax of the play. Um, and in this scene, she vows never to leave her monument. She refuses to be comforted and grieves over the mortally wounded Antony. He pleads for death to wait and allow him one last kiss. So um, we're going to go through kind of the the um, scene chronologically if possible. Um, and 
there is that really uneasy and obviously we know ironic opening line from Cleopatra where she says, Charmian, I will never go from hence. Um, they're in this takes place setting wise in her monument, a place of death. Antony's death is ever approaching. And we know that by the end of the scene, Cleopatra realizes that her only choice is to take her own life as well. Um, Cleopatra's kind of her accepting of tragedy is really quite striking. Um, there's a sense of real dignity and control. She says, um, I will not, in other words, be comforted. All strange and terrible events are welcome. That she's kind of embracing um, this kind of sense that tragedy is is impending. And she, she embraces it with real dignity. And I, I suppose we see her kind of royal identity at this point. Um, and then Antony's brought in with, with uh, Diomedes uh, and who reveals that his death's upon him, but not dead. Um, so this kind of moment in which we see life leaving Antony. And I love the um, apocalyptic images that are uh, suggested in Cleopatra's speech. Kind of if we look at line 10, she says, O sun, burn the great sphere thou movest in, darkling stand the varying shore of the world. Um, she she, in many ways, there's a, um, a real echoes of the biblical visions of the end of the world in Revelation 8, 12. If you have a look at it in the in the Bible, it's described as the fourth angel sounded his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, a third of the day was without light and also a third of the night. So that kind of, again, we've seen it before, this imagery of light and darkness that she's like, I need the sun to disappear and the sun light to, to kind of um, to burn out and that all I see is is darkness is essentially um, the world is now destroyed now that he's leaving and she kind of uses this ap apocalyptic and catastrophic imagery to suggest that for her the world has disappeared in many ways um, and that's that's an idea which will be continued in some of her language later on in this scene as well um, and she does try to kind of rally him in many ways. Um, so Antony has triumphed on himself is what he says. And she says, so it should be none but Antony should conquer Antony. Uh, but woe to his soul. So there is this sense of there is honour in that Antony's like, but I'm happy that this has happened because I've done it to myself. I've triumphed on myself. This is a, this is a success that I've I've kind of claimed my life so that Caesar couldn't do it for me. And and Cleopatra rallies behind him and is like, yes, you know, none but Antony should conquer. And again, that idea of winning, um, defeating something, um, is praise. But she's still terribly sad that it's had to come to this innocence um and when Antony's dying his kind of last words he refers to her as Egypt as well and I suppose that kind of greatness of her character is emphasized in his kind of final farewell and while she while he's waiting for death he asks of many thousand kisses the poor last I lay upon thy lips um this is Antony dying as a lover in a way and the kind of last thing that he wants is to to die kissing her essentially the last thing he wants to be doing um and Cleopatra is kind of there is there's there is a moment of fear at this point. Um and she she describes that, you know, I dare not, dear, dear my lord, pardon, I dare not, lest I be taken. There is this panic, I suppose, and a, a, maybe a, a emotion starting to get the better of her at this point. Um 
and she asks Anthony to be drawn up as well. So they begin lifting and Anthony's like quick or I'm gone. So in other words, like death is really close. Um, and there is that physical closeness and intimacy that's given as Anthony is waiting to embrace death. Um, there is that kind of slightly comic line in terms of how this is staged. So, you know, the here's sport indeed, how heavy weighs my Lord. So there is that kind of, um, there is like maybe a sense of a lack of dignity, I suppose, into Anthony being hoisted up and being pushed up as well. Um, but there is a kind of, um, she brings in this kind of godlike image to describe Anthony. She says, our strength is all gone into heaviness that makes the weight. Had I great Juno's power, the strong winged Mercury would fetch thee up and set thee by Jove's side. Um, so there is a sense of um, that Anthony deserves his place in the heavens with the gods. Um, but she, I suppose, feels powerless in this moment um towards his death she feels like she can't really do anything if she could she would but she feels I suppose weak at this point um and when they're together this is the you know the final uniting of the the lovers in life we have to remember because Caesar does evoke that they will be forever together in death as well um but she says, you know, had my lips that power, thus would I wear them out, you know, quicken with kissing, kissing essentially, like bring off death with love and intimacy. If her kisses would bring him back to life, she would, she would continue forever. Um, and, you know, even though they all mention it's a heavy sight, there is, and we as an audience are kind of emotionally a little bit devastated by this. We're watching a final farewell between two people who love each other in a sense and I suppose more so than that but great figures ending in such a way um as we know which is typical of tragedy but we have to I think there is that cathartic moment in which Anthony needs to die it's a powerful death because it's by his own sword and he's chosen it and he's accepted it and he seems to have closure with that um but devastating that it's felt like it's the only option he's had um we've seen how far he's fallen down and there are echoes of act one in the kind of final exchanges between the two of them um Anthony you know says give me some wine let me speak and Cleopatra says no let me speak um so there is this semi kind of um cyclical I suppose structure in terms of some of the banter that might be present in this scene um and he asks for one word, sweet king, uh, queen, seek your honour. And he pleads with her to, to essentially save herself, that Antony would rather die knowing that Cleopatra lives, um, is what he, he kind of wants. Um, and we know that that's something which she can't do. Um, she can't kind of betray Antony or betray herself, which is why she chooses to. And she and she just doesn't want to live a life anywhere with, with, without Antony. Um and Cleopatra kind of essentially says, my resolution in my hands, I'll trust. So she knows what's best for her. She will choose. And she and she does. Um, and Antony's kind of final moments, he reminds us of his kind of former glory and to rejoice in the fact that he's chosen a noble death um, and not to kind of think of Antony at this moment now, but what he once was, this great figure. Um, he says, I lived the greatest prince of the world, the noblest. Um, do not now not basely die, not cowardly put off my helmet to my countrymen. Um, a Roman by a Roman valiantly vanquished. Um, that there is that that there is a kind of heroic um nature to to Antony's words at this point, that he has conquered himself. Um 
and that's his final words. Um, Cleopatra kind of asks a number of rhetorical questions and she feels utterly abandoned and alone. Um, she says, you know, noblest of men would, would die. Have you no care of me? Shall I abide in this dull world, which in my absence is no better than a sty? And she uses, you know, that kind of idea of the world is is like a pigsty, essentially, without you in it, that he give it a kind of sense of grandeur and humanity in many ways. And he dies. Um, and I love this. It's just some of the most beautiful imagery that we're given um, in, the, in probably any of Shakespeare's plays. Um, and she essentially leaves from a sense of kind of what she tries to do is, I suppose, when she says that, you know, has thou no care of me? There's that kind of emotional manipulation again, which she kind of retorts to. Um, but we've seen that in multiple other other texts in literature in which characters feel um, helpless that they they resort to that um, that tactic. But she, when Antony dies, again, similar to with Antony, and it's something to think about in terms of the similarities between the two characters, she resorts to imagery of things dissolving. So Antony in the in the scene prior described how he, you know he his body was like a like a cloud, um, something great that is now kind of intangible and you can't kind of see it as being solid and, and firm um, and she uses the same she says the crown of the earth doth melt um, this kind of moment of loss this metaphor is suggesting that this greatness is gone it's dissolving with Antony's death um, and she builds up on that imagery of the garland of the war is withered as well so that you know that laurel essentially that was used for kind of crowned victory is is now decaying and withering um, and she uses this idea of kind of, um, it's it's a world that she doesn't recognise that Antony is now gone. And she uses inversions. She says, young boys and girls are level now with men. The odds is gone. Um, and I love that last line. There is nothing left remarkable beneath the visiting moon. Um, she doesn't recognise the beauty of the world anymore now that Antony is gone. Like, life is just kind of unrecognisable. And there's a sense of it's something that she doesn't recognise. And actually, she starts to faint at that point. And it's it's a suggestive, like, is it shock? Is it loss? It's a very physical reaction to this sudden, um, what she sees as catastrophic event. Um, and kind of at the end, that the world is over. Um, now that Antony's gone, um, he's died. And there is this kind of panic and in many ways, there is kind of real beauty in the poetry and the play at this point, even though there is so much death and destruction. Um, but Shakespeare allows Cleopatra to kind of um, flourish, I suppose, uh, in terms of uh, how she describes her emotional state at this event um, through poetry. And when she kind of comes back again, her final speech, it's almost like she comes back as a slightly different woman. Um, and she realises that she is just a woman with a woman's feelings. Uh, nothing matters now that Antony is dead. And she vows to bury him and then to follow his example in the high Roman fashion. And in this scene, I suppose we start to see the 
a real dignity in Cleopatra's character. She recognizes her flaws, um, and but she kind of adopts this concept of trying to regain control um, and and authority. And it's interesting that she uses that concept of the Roman fashion um, to do it. Uh, that you know she is determined to embrace death as a soldier, and this Roman concept of you know choosing suicide as a means to do so is interesting when we consider that it's an Egyptian adopting that view we've seen that east and west seem to be at you know always in opposition within the play but here they seem to be kind of united somewhat um with Cleopatra's decision to take her own life um but there is that kind of extended idea of um suicide being brave she says what's brave what's noble make death proud to take us um and she recognises now that they're, they have no friend, that in other words, they are abandoned, they are on their own. And I suppose there is that real sense of emotion um, in, in if we look at lots of her rhetorical questions or even the, um, the exclamation marks suggest a, a kind of different emotional tone in which the actors should perform it. She makes her women look at Anthony and she says, our lamp is spent, it's out. So again, that imagery of like light is gone. It's, it's away from him and she uses this idea of um, heat being taken away from him too, this case of that huge spirit now is cold, so obviously that Anthony being dead, the heat is leaving his body um, it's now that as we enter into Act 5, the world feels a little colder and a little darker for Anthony not being in it um, and we know that that's going to escalate further with the decision that she's made at this scene of she has no choice, resolution in the briefest end. Um, so in other words, let's. We, we, she wants to die quickly. And actually she knows that Charmaine and Iris need to, to die quickly too. But there is real kind of royalty and humanity and finality, I suppose, that we see in um, her, her final moments with Anthony in Act 4. 